Coming up on the Cat BK Beloved Show, we got the Super Bowl preview, and we're going to get a little bit political at the end, just a little bit. But first... Alright, thank you everybody for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, follow on all social platforms at BKA Beloved. Subscribe to the YouTubes. It is Black History Month, so every single day I am doing a series called Black Quarterback History Month, also February Flowers, a lot of names, where every single day I'm going to do a one to five minute video honoring one black quarterback every single day. So far, we've done Warren Moon, James Shaq Harris, Doug Williams, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson. Shit, I'm missing one. <laughs> oh, and Charlie Ward. And by the time this episode comes out, Cam Newton should be the day this episode comes out if I'm done editing by the end of the night, but still. So go ahead and support that. And Elephant in the Room, if you're watching this on the video version, YouTube or Spotify, I do have glasses on which I usually don't wear because I have a migraine and these blue light glasses are the only thing keeping me sane right now. All right, now that we got the pleasantries out the way, let's talk Super Bowl, shall we? So the way I wanted to sort this out is I wanted to make the case for both teams and then kind of make my predictions towards the end. Cool? Cool. So right now I am a BK beloved Esquire uh, representing my client, the Kansas City Chiefs. I read an interesting uh, interview about Patrick Mahomes uh, I think he did an interview with Jeff Darlington yesterday, two days ago. And the uh, last quote of it is made the rounds about him being willing to be the villain of the league and being whatever these fan bases need him to be. And he referenced the Patriots a lot in that article. Now, I already believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are the dynasty of the 2020s. Been to four Super Bowls in five years. You won two of them. If you win this one, it makes three. Even if they lose, still, I think that qualifies them for dynasty territory. But you know what separated the Patriots dynasty and Tom Brady from literally everyone else? Behind the smile, behind the Uggs, behind all the, we're on the Cincinnati and the mild manneredness. Tom Brady was a murderer, a psycho who cared about nothing but winning football games by any means necessary. I firmly believe that that same psycho exists in the chest of Patrick LeVon Mahomes II. And here is the ultimate chance to drive the knife into the hearts of all these other fan bases. Everyone's crying about the leagues being rigged. Oh my God, they're sick of Taylor Swift. Everyone hates Travis Kelsey now for some reason. They're making fun of your dad for getting arrested, which, by the way, if you're doing that, you're a fucking cornball. If you want to be the villain, Pat, you know a great way to do it? Win this one. Win it. Drive the fucking knife through their heart. I know it's in there. I could see it. We all could see that it's in there. Don't let the Kermit voice fool you. That is a psycho underneath that curly mohawk. And there's been a lot of talk about the Pat versus Tom Brady GOAT conversation. And it's Black History Month, so I'm going to save my take for that until March. If you've heard last week's podcast, you already know how I feel about that. But I feel like the Andy Reid GOAT conversation is a little more interesting because the all-times coaches list is a little tougher one to crack, right? Like, how do you compare Andy Reid to a George Hallis or a Paul Brown or even a Vince Lombardi? Like, these are pioneers and titans of the game 
that kind of feel like their faces and names are etched in the coaching Mount Rushmore already, like regardless of what happens in the future. Like Paul Brown invented film study. Like what the hell is Andy Reid going to do that Trump's inventing film study? I mean, like even Bill Belichick, after winning six championships, it only took him four seasons of not making the playoffs. I mean, not winning a playoff game, which after losing to the Bills that year, we might as well not make the damn playoffs. For everyone to just automatically throw out there, oh, well, I guess he's not the best coach anymore. Guess it was Brady the whole time. That's how fragile of a conversation this is. But if Andy Reid wants to etch his name into Goat Mountain and to put his face on the Mount Rushmore, winning this third one is a great way to do it. Because this will come at the hands of beating a team that quite honestly has you beat at every single position but quarterback. I know Chiefs fans will argue about the tight end spot, but I think it's just objectively true that at this point in their careers, George Kittle is just a better player than Travis Kelsey. All time, clearly it's Kelsey. Kelsey's the greatest tight end ever, but I think at Kelsey's advanced age, George Kittle's still pancaking defensive linemen. Like, I think, you know, y'all can discuss that amongst yourselves. Here's where Andy Reid ranks among coaches all times. Regular season wins, Andy Reid has 258. That's fourth all time. 25 playoff wins, that's second all time. If he wins another one, that'll be 26. Still second all time behind Belichick. This is his 19th trip to the playoffs that is tied for first all-time versus Bill Belichick. If he wins this Super Bowl, that'll put him at three rings, which will tie him with Joe Gibbs and Bill Walsh. And that'll put their tied for third behind Chuck Noll with four and Belichick with six. And technically, Paul Brown with seven NFL championships, but it wasn't called the Super Bowl yet. So hey, parse that amongst yourselves. I don't know how people want to rank that one, right? So if you think about it, if he wins this third one, the greatest offensive mind in football history is pretty much wrapped up already. And I know there's been rumors of him wanting to retire after this season, but even without knowing anything, I just don't see that being true. Like he promised Mahomes he'd be there for the length of his contract. He signed a 10 year deal. What was it? Three years ago. So that's seven. Let's say let's just say, for example, seven years left on the deal. Mahomes is only 28. Granted, the league's nothing's guaranteed. For all I know, Mahomes can't win another, won't win another ring for 10 years. It happened to Brady, so who knows? But I just don't see how Andy Reid looks at one of the best quarterbacks to ever live. And he's like, you know what? I'm good. Unless there's something serious behind the scenes that's happening. And it's not like Pat's going anywhere either. Hopefully, Andy Reid and Brett Veach are a lot better at massaging relationships than Bill Belichick was. So he doesn't leave them like Brady did. But even if that happens, Brady ain't leave till he was 40. So you still got a little bit of time. I don't know. Again, nothing's guaranteed in the NFL. But I think the path towards Andy Reid being the GOAT coach is a lot shorter of a path than Mahomes reaching Brady on GOAT Mountain. Okay, so actual game plan, right? As far as the Chiefs offense, getting Jet McKinnon back is huge because the 49ers struggle with the run, but not really the Isaiah Pacheco type of run. And what I mean by that is they're more so struggling with perimeter running teams, right? So the way they were able to get the Packers were able to get Aaron Jones out on the edge and the Lions were able to get Jameer Gibbs out on the edge. That's more so what they struggle with. But if you go back and watch the Lions game, after they were able to get Jameer Gibbs moving side to side on him, then David Montgomery was able to hit him up the middle a little bit. And I feel like the Chiefs can take that formula and apply that to this game. And for y'all that have followed me for a while, yes, even a team with the best quarterback in football has to run the damn ball. This team does not have the receivers capable for him to go out there and throw for 400 plus yards. And win today and win the game on Sunday. Unfortunately, that's just not the type of team they got right now. Speaking of receivers, somebody not named Rasheed Rice or Travis Kelsey has to make big plays. MVS, Watson, 
Blake Bell. Hell, even Kadarius Tony, he had two big plays in last year's Super Bowl, and apparently he's not hurt or beefing with the Chiefs if you let him tell it. So, hey, maybe he's the one to make the play, but somebody else is going to have to make these plays. San Fran already knows who the two main targets for Mahomes are, and they're going to try to make him play left-handed. Granted, this isn't a shocking revelation. They're not going to be the only person to think about this, but still. On the defensive side of the ball, Steve Spagnola, it is your time to shine. The 2007 Giants ring, I think, will forever be his masterpiece. Objectively speaking, as a Patriots fan, that being the most traumatic sports moment of my life, what he did to one of the most historically great offenses in NFL history in the biggest game of the year is chef's kiss objectively just amazing job defensively right if he can do the same thing to a shanahan offense which is basically the blueprint for every offense of the league except for the one he's on the same team with that'll be another one of his magnum opuses you've seen what brock purdy has struggled with these last couple weeks and earlier in the season we're on that three game skid when you pressure him well you're able to get pressure on him he struggles heat his ass up heat him up and spags doesn't need extra motivation to heat you up <laughs> whether it's a simulated pressure or an actual full-on blitz zone blitz or whatever he wants to do it and even if he wants to run a little more man they have the corners to be able to man up on a debo and Ayuk. now if you're running man and you have those corners out there with george kittle best of luck to you i don't know what your plan is for that and as you saw against the ravens and the bills when Mahomes is on the other sideline, for whatever reason, other teams stop running the ball. So you only got to stop them running the ball for like, what, two quarters? If the offense holds up their end of the bargain, come out in the second half, heat up Purdy, hopefully he folds, and hell, you'd be able to pull it off. And you're going to hear the line, well, just can't go against Mahomes in pretty much every show that does football analysis all week long. And that somewhat is part of my answer, but that's very boring podcast wise to give you all that information. Y'all can go anywhere for that. And I don't want to do that to y'all. So that's my answer. The defense of the Kansas City Chiefs rests. We now rise. Make the case for the San Francisco 49ers. So all week long, you're going to hear stories about Brock Purdy this and Mr. Irrelevance, a Super Bowl quarterback. Is he a game manager, game changer, blah, blah, blah. If the 49ers want to win this game, the MVP has to be Christian McCaffrey. It is no longer preserve his body time. It is no longer lessen his workload. It is the last damn game of the year, whether you win or lose. Run the damn ball. Timmy Smith has the most rushing yards in the Super Bowl with 204 in Super Bowl, what's that, 22 versus the Broncos in 1988. For the 49ers to win this game, CMC has to at least sniff that, if not pass it. And speaking of records, I don't want to sound like a broken one, but Kyle Shanahan, please, for the love of God, Kyle, please run the damn ball. Just run it. Please run the damn ball. The Bills got 182. The Ravens abandoned the run game altogether and you see what happened to them you've had two weeks now to watch all the film you need to this is not the week to go out there and try to prove how good brock purdy is if he wins the ring who gives a shit this is not the time for kyle shanahan offensive genius mr quarterback guru it's not the time to get in the dick swinging contest with andy reed who can come up with the most creative play turn your brain off be a neanderthal for the game run the ball and if you do run the ball well enough and the Chiefs start to overcommit, then Brock Purdy can do what he does best and come off that play-action pass, hit Brandon Ayuk on them in-cuts or George Kittle on them crossers, dump-offs to Debo, whatever. Your whole playbook's open now because you ran the damn ball. Plus, with Brock Purdy, 
if Brock Purdy wins this Super Bowl, this season is already statistically more impressive than anything Joe Montana has ever done. I know that sounds crazy, but here are the numbers. Brock Purdy this season was 13 and 3, 69% completion percentage, 4280 yards, 31 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Montana's best Super Bowl season was in 1984, 14 and 1, 64% completion percentage, 3630 yards, 28 to 10 touchdown interception ratio. I was going to say 49ers quarterbacks, period, but Steve Young's 94 Super Bowl season was so fucking nuts, I couldn't do it. I got to read this to you. 13-3, and 70% completion percentage, 42-62 total yards, 42-10 and 10 total touchdown to interception ratio. Steve Young was a madman that year. Jesus Christ. But yeah, back, back to what I was saying. The Chiefs struggle with the run. You have the best running back in football. And if he gets tired, you also have the best running back that plays receiver in football. Football is not easy by any means. It's not It's not an easy sport, especially play calling. I'm not going to pretend to be an offensive coordinator on the level of Kyle Shanahan or offensive schema or none of that. Clearly, I'm not, or else I wouldn't be in front of a microphone right now. I'd be on the sideline, right? But it ain't got to be complicated all the goddamn time. <laughs> it ain't got to be complicated all the time. On the defensive side of the ball, attack the tackles. Attack those tackles. Attack those tackles. Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor have been struggling all year long. For y'all that just watched the Shaq numbers, I promise you, watch the actual film or just rewatch the games or look at the pressure numbers or the hits allowed numbers or the hurry numbers. It's, it's staggering. They're either top three or five in pretty much every category, and the teams ahead of them are like the Jets, the Commanders, and the Giants, all of which have injured quarterbacks or are picking top five to six in the draft. I don't know what happened to the 49ers pass rush this season where they used to be able to get a consistent pressure with four guys, and they really haven't been able to do that for their last two games of the playoffs. I don't know what happened, but y'all had two weeks to figure it out. Figure it out. Chase Young, if there was ever a game where you decide that you want to give maximum effort for 60 minutes, goddammit, Sunday is the game. <laughs> this is the game. And this is a contract year for you, too. So you might want to put something good on film for the Super Bowl. Just saying. And Nick Bosa should be able to tell you how many nose hairs that Patrick Mahomes has by the time the game is over. Neither one of these tackles on Kansas City should be able to block him at all. And Charvarius Ward, the uh, corner for the 49ers. He usually stays to one side when they're playing defense, right? That's just kind of how they have the defense set up. The Chiefs have one good wide receiver, Rasheed Rice. They have one. I don't see why he wouldn't travel with him. Me personally, I don't see why he wouldn't. What else are you doing? As far as the Chiefs' actual number one target, Travis Kelsey, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw versus Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith has been a debate all season long. And I've gone back and forth on it myself. But we just saw Travis Kelsey go. I got the numbers in front of me. Hold on. 11 catches on 11 targets, 116 receiving yards, and one touchdown. That is literally a first down per catch. Every target he caught against what we thought was the best linebacker duo in football. If the 49ers linebackers can be even 25% better than that, Kansas City only got to 17 points last week. I don't even know how well they can move the ball if they don't have that option. So as far as an actual prediction on these two games, I must save my actual pick till Sunday, to be honest. I'm kind of still going back and forth because, again, the whole you don't want to go against Mahomes thing. And there's a world where the Chiefs have no answer 
for the 49ers offense. And CMC's running and gashing them every time and the play action pass is working and everything's clicking and it looks like that 49ers team we saw against the Eagles and the Cowboys and it's 17 to 7 in the second quarter and the 49ers are now getting the ball back and we're all looking at each other in the living room like holy shit okay this might get ugly but then back to the don't bet against Mahomes thing if Mahomes is down 24 to 7 in the second quarter the game still isn't over so I, I don't know man I don't know I don't know Tune in on all my platforms at BK Beloved on Sunday to get an actual answer. I promise I'll have one. <laughs> but right now, shit. I don't know. But I laid it out. That's the Super Bowl preview for right now. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then it's time to get political. All right. So I wanted to put this at the end of the podcast because it's depressing and it is very DC, Maryland, Virginia specific. I know some of y'all just want to come here for the football and there's never going to be a world where I just talk about football all the time, but I want to give people options to pick what they want to pick. So DC councilmen, well, council members uh, just passed. I've seen it called many things. The Secure DC Omnibus Amendment Act. It is a large comprehensive crime bill that was introduced by council member Brooke Pinto and obviously sponsored by DC Mayor Muriel Bowser. Now there's a couple things on the bill that are great. There are enhanced protections for senior citizens. So a lot of elderly in DC are getting attacked. They're gonna enhance the penalty for that. There's improved protections for children because child trafficking is a big thing in DC. Also a great thing, right? But it kind of, it's sort of like a Trojan horse because under that you also have, we're cutting SNAP benefits like food stamps. You're cutting domestic violence support. You're cutting homeless prevention and eviction support emergency rental assistance, youth re-entry diversion programs, faith coverings are being criminalized, which include Muslim garbs. So ski mask, hoodies, bandanas, hijabs, all the above. Fear is now cause for arrest. Any items that covers most of the face that can feel anyone else feel afraid is now grounds for arrest. Gatherings of two plus people are now criminalized. The police cannot designate any neighborhood as high risk, allowing them to arrest innocent people for gathering in groups of two or more. Killing car chase suspects is now legal. Body cam restrictions are removed. Disregarding a gun will be considered a crime. Show me your papers, Metro law. The police will be able to immediately arrest anyone suspected of misconduct while riding the Metro refuse to share their name and home address. If a plainclothes officer demands your address on the Metro, not telling them could lead to your arrest. Now there's a documentary on Netflix that's simply called crack. It's about the crack era of the 1980s. And there's a specific section of it that covers Rudy Giuliani and the stop and frisk uh, laws that he passed in New York. And quite honestly, it sounds very similar to what I just read. It's we're having an issue with crime. So instead of dealing with the things that cause crime, like, you know, poverty, lack of programs for the youth to actually go to and things of that nature. Instead, we are going to. Oh, and there's like a huge police funding thing in this bill that increases all the things that police have more riot gear, things of that nature. So instead of dealing with the actual disease, we're treating the symptoms again and let's just call it what it is, man. They have legalized racial profiling in D.C. And that racial profiling can get you thrown in prison on a random Tuesday because you and three of your friends decided to kick it outside your house one day. 
again, the police can designate any neighborhood as high risk. And if you know what's going on in D.C. for the past decade plus with gentrification going on, the moment some developer comes in and says, all right, we want to renovate this neighborhood and build high rises. They're going to start identifying that area as high risk. And anytime someone's caught outside, they're going to lock your ass up and get you up out of there. You know what I'm saying? It's just. And it's tough for me, right? Because. Watching history repeat itself and have such a grand effect on your people, literally not even 15 minutes away from me. Like I live in Maryland, DC's right down the damn street, essentially, right? And I'm low-key fighting tears because I promised myself I wouldn't cry on camera, but it's just like it didn't have to be this way, yo. Like, we know what the causes of crime actually are. With the prices in D.C. jacking up so severely due to sad gentrification, the economy being in the fucking shitter, inflation's going up, jobs aren't as readily available, a lot of these kids have nothing to go to but crime because the opportunities to actually legally get this money is not available to them. And now that you're making homelessness prevention programs less funded, it's like, damn. So even people at the bottom of the bottom of the barrel in D.C., which is one of the most heavily populated homeless populations in the world. And it honestly feels like you're watching like some Gotham City type shit. I mean, like you're watching some some like borderline martial law type shit going on, you know, and it's it's fucking depressing because you know what the effects are going to be. It's history repeating itself from the 1980s in that crack era. This is going to lead to more black men being locked up. This is what this bill is targeting in D.C. In Chocolate City from a black mayor is targeting young black men. And a lot of young black men are going to end up in jail. And the people voting for this are council members in D.C. And I know it's an election year and I know a lot of you are not enchanted by the presidential candidates. Quite honestly, I'm not either. And I live in Maryland, so the state's going to go blue anyways, whether I vote for Biden or not, which obviously I will be because Trump's not a goddamn option. But it's council members are the thing on the ballot that affects you the most directly. Local government is the thing that affects you the most directly. As you can see, these council members are the ones voting on this bill that are going to directly impact young black men in the D.C. area will be going to jail as a direct result of the council members that are put in office. It's it's a sick, sick game, man. It's a sick, sick game. I uh, hate to end the podcast on such a downer, but I, I had I had to address that. And I feel like it's too late to stop this. I just hope for the best for all D.C. residents. Please stay safe. Be safe. And to anyone who just came for the football and wants to enjoy the Super Bowl, enjoy the Super Bowl, I'm going to go cry in peace now. Have a good week.